I was thinking about life and I was thinking about how many choices that we have to make every day. Could be small choices, whether you'll eat or what you'll eat. Uh, Choices of whether or not you'll get up early and you'll actually go to the gym. I fail in that all the time uh, and and working out. You you have all of these choices that you can make. Uh, The choice of hitting your snooze button. I just need some support uh, this morning. How many people hit snooze uh, button? Yeah, that's it. Wow. Uh, my wife is not and does not like that I am. Um, I'm multiple times, and so uh, pray for my wife. Um, but, but I have that option every morning. I get to choose whether I'll get up or if I'm going to hit that snooze button again. Uh, we, we make choices, and there's always consequences to our choices. There's always a result to our choice. Uh, on Saturday, we had told our kids we would go to Six Flags, um, and we found out that it was bring a guest for free day at Six Flags. And on that day, the numbers are, are crazy. Um, but we still decided that we would go. And then we found out that it was like school day at Six Flags. Um, and so we pull up and there's buses everywhere. And we still chose to, to go and to participate. We told our kids uh, that we would. And then I've talked about my fear of heights. And, and I don't know if I've shared, but I get really sick easily. And so uh, Batman, the ride Batman, has been going backwards uh, for the last couple of weeks. And my daughter has been desperately wanting to ride Batman backwards. And it ends today. And so my wonderful wife, uh, since it was Mother's Day, I didn't make her ride uh, Batman. And uh, I told my daughter I would ride it with you. And as we stood in line, what seemed like forever, uh, to ride Batman backwards, my daughter kept asking me, Daddy, are you going to get sick? Are you going to get sick? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get sick. Uh, I just knew. I just knew, yes, I am going to get sick uh, riding, riding Batman. And then she would give me this little hug. She would draw near to me, and she would give me this little hug, and she'd say, thanks. And, man, it was in that moment, I'm like, okay, I would do almost anything, right? If that, I, I won't ride swings or the, the Superman, but almost anything I'll do if you just give me that re- response. And so we ride Batman, and it was okay. I felt nauseous. Knew I would, right? I mean, I knew as I was going to make that decision, I knew what the outcome was going to be. Like, I wasn't surprised when I got off and I felt sick. Now, the mistake was, though, that I went and rode Pandemonium right after riding Batman, <laughs> And uh, if you don't know what this is, it's a ride that spins as it goes uh, on the, the roller coaster. And so as I'm standing in line, I'm already feeling kind of nauseous. I'm like, this is not going to end well. And, uh, but I made the choice, right? I, I knew what the choice was going to get me, and it did. I ended up in the bathroom at Six Flags, but I would highly encourage you not to get to that place uh, being, being sick. But as I left that place, I was just reminded that we make these choices, right? You, you will make significant choices in your life, and there will there will be this outcome. There will be this consequence. And sometimes we make choices knowing what the consequence is going to be and that we know it's not going to be good and we still do it. But what if I told you that this morning, we're going to look at some choices that this guy named Paul makes. And he made some significant choices knowing what the results were going to lead to. And he made them anyways. He decided that it was worth it, that it was worth it. Uh, The scripture we're going to look at today, for me, has been one of the most significant scriptures in my life. As I started following Jesus as a a middle teenager, 14, 15, and kind of figuring out what it meant, and then going to college and really becoming committed to following Jesus, this is the one scripture that I read and learned that I felt like set me on course for the rest of my life. This could be a scripture that could be on my tombstone when I die. This is maybe, and I've said this often, that there's important scriptures all throughout, but this is maybe one of the most significant ones to me, and I'm excited to share it with you 
this morning. Uh, so we're in Galatians. This is written by a guy named Paul. I'll go through this really quickly for some of you who are new with us. Uh, Paul was a guy who hated Christians. Uh, he thought that his background of being a Jew uh, was the most important thing. And so anyone who was now following Jesus, uh, he thought was wrong. And so we just looked a couple of weeks ago that he vigorously and he violently was trying to wipe out the church. He was asking for permission to know where those people were so he could go in and remove them from their house so they could go to jail and be persecuted. This is Paul. But then we talked about how he has a but God moment, right? But God begins to get a hold of his heart and changes his life. And so Paul becomes a Christian, someone he, who was trying to wipe out, and he helps other people become Christians and plants these churches. And then he would write back to these churches and encourage them and challenge them and, and point out some things. And so he's writing to a group of churches in what's modern-day Turkey now uh, to encourage and to challenge. But this letter specifically we see that as he's been talking about God's grace, as he's been talking about what it means to be accepted by God, right? He points out that we're all broken, we're all sinners, we're, we're all separated from God, but there is a way back to him. And, and Paul says the way back to him is through Jesus and Jesus alone, that you could never add anything to it. And so, but what was happening is he had, had these Jewish people who were coming behind him who, who believed in Jesus, but just didn't think Jesus was enough for this group of people. And so they were adding to it. And basically what they were saying is you need to become Jewish before it really works. And so Paul is writing to these Galatians to remind them, no, 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 it is Jesus alone. That you don't have to add anything to Jesus. And we've looked at, we, we do that in lots of different ways. We can do that by being legalistic, meaning we think we can earn our way back to God, that we can rely more on ourselves than we do on God that we actually believe that forgiveness comes by doing everything right. That just if our goodness could outweigh our badness, then everything would be okay. And lots of religions believe that, but we don't because we know that our goodness could never outweigh our, our badness. And so we believe that it's grace alone. And so we've been looking at this. And just last week, we looked at this idea that this guy named Peter who believed that was living one way with a certain group, the Gentiles, but living different with the Jewish people. And so Paul opposes him to his face. And I encouraged you that when you have a problem with someone, and no matter what that looks like, that you would do that, you would oppose them to your, their face, that you wouldn't talk about them, you wouldn't post about them, but that you would deal with it in person. And you would have those conversations. And can I just encourage you uh, I, I talk to my staff about this, and I've learned this for myself. Don't do it through a text. Don't do it through email. A face-to-face. -face. Paul opposed him face-to-face -face and said, look, what you're doing is infectious. It's impacting other people. Your hypocrisy is not going to go well for others. So he calls that out. Then he just reminds them, look, your, your history and your tradition may give you an advantage, uh, but it will not justify you before God. It will not fix the problem that you have, and that only is through faith. And so we're going to look at Galatians 2. Uh, we're going to end this uh, chapter. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a red Bible around you somewhere. somewhere. I, I hope that you would take that. That's our gift um, to you. Galatians 2. We're going to go back. We're going we're gonna to read what we read last week because it bleeds into what we're going to look at this week. And then I'll teach on 17 through 21. So Galatians 2, starting in verse 11. It says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. 
Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then you are for, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, we become evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So in verse 17 and 18, Paul is reminding him once again that you can't just seek to be justified before God just by following the law. And he says, if we seek to be justified in Christ, like understanding there's something different that's going on and we understand that we're broken and it's gonna become evident that we ourselves are sinners. Paul is going to remind the readers over and over the need of God's grace for all people. That when we, when we measure ourselves against the law, the rules of the Bible, we realize I cannot follow them all the time. I will try and I will do my best, but if we, if we think just by following all the rules and the laws, I'll be justified by God, we're falling short always. And so he says that if we realize that we're sinners and we think that Jesus is just going to cover our grace flippantly, then is Jesus promoting sin? Meaning we can just do whatever we want because we know that God's grace is going to cover us. And Paul says, absolutely not. That is not the point of what God through Jesus is doing. He's not promoting sin by saying grace covers our sin. He's just pointing to our need for God's grace. We follow the law, we follow the rules, we follow the teachings of Jesus, not to be righteous or be being seen in right standing before God, but as an understanding of this is how life is supposed to work. That there's kind of a playbook to how we do life but it really proves that we are lawbreakers and need someone to give us forgiveness. If you know the Old Testament, you, you, you know that the, the Ten Commandments are in there, and, and maybe you don't know the scriptures very well, but you probably know the Ten Commandments because it's fairly well talked about and, and discussed and argued about whether it should be put in certain places. And so most people would know about the Ten Commandments. What's interesting is as Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the group of people who are with them are wondering if Moses has left them. Where is Moses at? And, and Moses receiving these laws, and, and, and those are not creating an idol, not, not to worship any other God. And Moses comes back, and he finds his people that they have melted down all their gold and made a golden calf and are now worshiping it. So Moses, just get this picture. Moses shows up with these tablets. He has just heard from 
God and he looks out and he sees what they have done. They literally are breaking the first few laws. And Moses in this moment, I just wonder if he realizes, and maybe he doesn't, if he just realizes that these laws are not something that justify people, but just points out the brokenness in our hearts. That if you and I were to sit with the Ten Commandments, if we were to read the scriptures, it would just point out that in our hearts that we're wicked often. Right? And that's not something that's enjoyable to hear. But the good news is, the grace is the good news. That Paul says, look, we can never be justified because we're good enough. That is why we need Jesus. And so as you think about your own life, and you think about how you view the, the laws of the Bible and the rules and the teachings of Jesus, for many of us, we have taken those and we've said, man, if I could just follow those, then God will be pleased with me. And our identity is so much wrapped up in our obedience, not as sons or daughters of a good, loving father. So Jesus, in these moments, he's not backtracking. He's not saying those things aren't important. He's, he's not... Uh, negotiating. I don't know if you're a parent and you have kids. I feel like so much of life is bartering, right? So much of it is if you do this, then I'll do that. Okay, what if we add this, right? And they begin to barter back. This is every night, right? As it's bedtime, there's always this negotiation that takes place. And there's these rules that I want to implement with our, our family. But man, my, my son, especially, he is really good at bartering. He is really good at making deals. And, and so the, the thing is, Jesus is not doing this God is not doing this. Paul is not saying, look, um, God is backtracking and now he wants to cut a deal. That this has been the plan that, that we are going to need God's grace. He's not changing the laws. He's not changing the expectations. Paul just continues to point out our need for Jesus. Jesus isn't excusing sin. And we're gonna see that here in just a moment. The, the message version uh, says this next part like this. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same barn that I torn down. What, what Paul is saying is I was a rule follower. I was the best. As a Jewish boy, as a Jewish young man, I was the best at following the rules. I did everything right. And so if I just go back to that, I'm just building the same barn I once torn down and it's good for nothing. Paul is saying something different is happening. He's saying, I tried to please God and it just wouldn't work. And so when he talks about, when he talks about, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. That sounds somewhat confusing. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I think what Paul is saying is the law of faith, the law of faith that, that God will save him through Jesus outweighs the law in the scriptures, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. And this is what I would mean by that. I heard this illustration this week. Uh, I don't know if you grew up with rules in your house. Uh, we, we, uh, we have rules in our home, and, and maybe you have some, some rules to be honest. Uh, maybe your rules are to be respectful. Uh, maybe you have some other rules, like one rule is we're going to have fun, right? We want to have fun as a family. And then maybe you have a rule that you're going to be safe. Uh, right? And so if, if I asked you the question, which rule is more important, to have fun or to be safe? Uh, I know some of you, because I've been with you, would be to have fun, 
right? Uh, dads maybe especially, right? Uh, but, but the rule of being safe should probably always outweigh the rule of having fun, right? Like it would be really fun to play in the street in front of my house, uh, to put a basketball goal, my son wants a basketball goal. It'd be really fun to put a basketball goal on our street, but we're kind of a pass-through street. And so I yell at cars often for driving too fast down our, our street. And so it wouldn't be safe. And so I'm going to choose the law of being safe, the rule of being safe over the rule of having fun because I know that it will lead to life. And so Paul here is saying, look, the law of, of Moses, the law of the scriptures, they're not bad and I'm not getting rid of them. It's just that I've kind of, I've, I've just died to those things because I know that real life comes by the law of faith, of believing in something bigger than ourselves, of believing in this grace of God. And so I think what Paul would say is the most important thing is that we understand that our faith outweighs our failures, let me say that again, that our faith outweighs our failures. If we hold so tight to our failures, we'll never understand the grace of God, right? If we set eye to eye and knee to knee and you said, look, I just can't, I just can't get over what I've done. The hurt that I've caused people, the hurt that I've caused God, I've tried really hard to, to follow all of the rules. And maybe you would say, look, I feel like I've just let God down. This is where I would say, look, the faith in God's grace completely outweighs our failures. That is the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus, that there is nothing that could separate us from the love of God because of God's grace. Uh, Paul says it just a little differently in another letter. Uh, in Philippians 3, this won't be on the screen, uh, but through, uh, Philippians 3 Starting at the end of verse four, it says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's now going to give his resume. Paul is going to say, this is my story. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day, like every good Jewish boy would have been. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's giving his lineage. He's saying, look, this is my family tree. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul says, look, I was the best. If you want to see a picture of legalism, of following all of the rules, of checking every box I could possibly check, that was me. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I came from the right tribe. And, and to be blunt, this word rubbish literally means uh, animal excrement. In the original Greek, it would be dung. And Paul says, all of that is dung compared to the faith that I have in knowing Jesus. It's rubbish. It will get me nothing. It doesn't get me anywhere. With God. It doesn't justify me at 
all. He says, all of them are rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found of in him. He says, I just want to know Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's made a couple of choices in his life. The one choice Paul made was to believe in God's grace, to believe that he's justified in that place, that he's in right standing with God because of a free gift that is given to him. He chose to believe that and to accept that. And I know that many of you have done that. I know that many of you at some point have known your need for God. You have realized your brokenness and you have realized that there is this grace that covers it all, that your faith in God will always outweigh your failures. But there was a second decision that Paul, I think, has made. And the second decision is the decision I think many of us need to make. The first one, some of you maybe haven't. Uh, Maybe you've never understood grace. You've never understood that there's something that could outweigh everything wrong you've done, that it is a free gift. And maybe today would be a day that you believe that and you choose that for yourself. But for many of you, I'm not sure we've gotten to the second choice. And it comes out of what he was just saying. Looking at verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul has made this choice that his life is no longer his own. He has just said, look, the life I live in the flesh is not mine. I have given myself completely to God. The choice that Paul has made is to fully surrender himself. Uh, I I heard it said one time that when you become a Christian and you get saved, um, that you get God, that I've got God's grace and I've got God's strength and I get those things. But for Paul, when he made this decision and when you make this decision, when you have made this decision, where we fully surrender to God, then God gets all of us Right? I have gotten God when I believe in God's grace, but at some point I get to make the choice if God can have all of me. And Paul reached a point where he says, look, I'm no longer going to live this life for myself. This life, I've crucified it all. I've died to myself. He's making the statement that he has no fear of being condemned. That when he dies, he knows that he is saved. He knows that grace will cover him and that he has already been judged and the decision, the payment has already already been made. And so he's living this by faith. And so it has been determined by the love of Jesus. He has made this decision because he understands this love of God. He sees himself as completely loved. Now what Paul doesn't do here is Paul doesn't say, I have kind of surrendered. Right? Paul doesn't say, there was a point where I halfway crucified myself that I have died to some of the, the things of my life. Paul has said, look, I am all in. I'm all in. It's like when you go to the pool and, and you stick your toe in because it's too cold, right? Kids jump in and it doesn't matter, but, but now it's like a toe and you, be, you begin to slowly work yourself in. And then I talk my kids into going to the hot pool at the, uh, at the hotel, right? The hot pool is always better than the freezing cold pool. But there's this point where if you just go all in, it's always better. And Paul has said, I have made the choice to go all in. That this isn't something I'm just going to halfway do. That my whole life is going to come under the weight of who God is. 
My whole life is going to come under the weight of God's grace. He has made this choice. I'm going to talk about what that looks like practically in just a minute. Verse 21, let's finish up. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul's saying, look, if you thought you could get to a point where you could just work yourself back to God, there's no point of Jesus dying on a cross. There would be no need for that. He's died for nothing. So we can't just simply set aside God's grace thinking that we're enough. But Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing is enough. So what does this practically look like in our lives? What does it look like for us to say what Paul says in verse 20? that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I think it's where we, everything, and I literally mean everything in our lives falls under the weight of who God is. Everything. That that we don't choose some areas to say, okay, God, I'm gonna follow you here, but not there. Like that is not a point where we have surrendered all to him. I I just, I wanna give a little uh, visual for this. So the first thing I think Paul probably does is he gives up his worldly ambitions. So Paul comes to a point where he says, look, I'm, I'm going to give my ambitions up for God. That they're no longer just my ambitions and what I want for my own life. Um, to be popular, to be prestigious in whatever field that I'm in, uh, to just achieve success no matter what it looks like or how I get there. But when that is placed under the weight of God, Right? When we place it under the weight of God, then things begin to change. And it is no longer my ambition, but we begin to say, God, what do you want for my life? If you're young and you're deciding to go to college or what you might major in, maybe money is not the first thing we look at. Uh, maybe just getting into the, the perfect college so everyone would acknowledge us isn't the place we start, but we would just say, God, if I give myself to you, if I give my life to you, what would that look like? What do you want from me? We begin to have this desire to serve and not just be served. When when we lean into our own worldly ambitions, then we want things from other people all the time. But at some point when we die to ourselves, we begin to say, look, I'm just gonna give myself away. Uh, Bob Goff, who's one of my favorite authors, uh, he just says that the most important things is that we love God and we leak Jesus. Right, that we love God and we leak Jesus, meaning that my ambition is not at the forefront of my life. That helping others to see the love of God and who Jesus is is most important. And, and then if we were to look at money, right, we grow up thinking, man, money will solve our problems. Money will fix the things that we need, uh, all the things that I want. But if that comes under the weight of Jesus, the heaviness in a good way, the heaviness of God's grace and what he wants for us, then the way we see money changes. We, We no longer see money as the enemy or the goal, but something to be used for good. No matter how much or how little you have, you begin to see, all right, God, whatever you've given me, It's not that we don't spend it on ourselves at times. It doesn't mean that we don't have fun or enjoy what God has given us, but we just say, okay, well, how can I be generous with this, right? If not, what happens is we we might 
get God and say, look, I know I'm, I'm forgiven and I'm saved and I'm thankful for God's grace, but you know what? I'm just going to do with my resources and money what I want. But if you saw needs, if you knew of a family that was struggling and you had the resources, when you begin to say, look, this life is not my own, then you just simply begin to say, well, how can I give this away? How can I give it myself? And I know for many of us, maybe you're not at a place where you can do that, but then you begin to see your time and your talents and your energy and you say, look, I'm not just going to use that for myself. If I die to myself, if the life I live is for God, then I begin to see how I can give myself away. Or it's our pride. It's our pride in believing that we need God, right? That, that's, a, that's a hard one. That this could come even if you already would say yourself, call yourself a Christian. Our pride and our ego often get in the way of saying, look, maybe God knows better. Maybe God's ways and his plan is better than mine. A part of our pride is our lack of our ability to confess when we've done wrong, when we've hurt people. When we are no longer just living for ourselves, we understand when we've made mistakes and so we seek out those people that we've hurt. We ask for forgiveness from those. But in doing that, we have to let go of our pride and our ego. And we, we put it under the weight of who God is. Or work, right? What you do for a living. Maybe God's gifted you and he's put you in that place, right? We talked about this for uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about how uh, you're in that place for a purpose and you, you don't just see your work as an ends to a means, but it's not just clock, clocking in and clocking out every day, but it is an opportunity, Right? That, that no matter what you're doing, if you have crucified yourself, if you no longer live and if you have fully submitted yourself, well, then every time you step into that place of work, no matter what it is, you say, look, I'm available, God. I'm available to be used for you today. And see, here's the, here's the tricky part. I think people sometimes think you have to be special to be used by God. That you have to have this crazy story, that you have to have this crazy past, or you have to be really gifted as a communicator. But I don't think that's the case. I think you just have to say yes. I think you just have to say yes to God to being used. Yes to God to being hope and love in a place where maybe others don't experience it. Or with your family, right? We'll just keep adding here. So how you see your family, does your family come under the rule and reign of God and how you parent if you are married, how you treat your spouse, or maybe it's singleness, and dating and relationships, how does that come under the weight of God? Yeah, yes. How does that come under the weight of God? Are you making your decisions and how you are doing life? How you date, how you pursue someone, have you submitted those things to Christ? Or have you said, eh, look, I'm good with all the other things, but I'm gonna have to remove a couple. Right, well, then, then we really haven't submitted our ways to him. We're just kind of picking and choosing what we feel to be easy. But man, if we say, look, okay, God, I'm going to stop with this one because I feel lucky that it's not going to fall here. Right, what, what, what is it? What, what could you add? Well, what are the things for you? Is it the way you forgive others? And maybe the biggest one, and I'll end with this. The biggest one is, how do you love people? I just think if we could get to the point where we said, look, I, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in because I understand the love that God has had for me. Right? I, I love because God has first loved me. I, I want to give grace and mercy because God has given me grace and has been merciful to me. 
we're going to look later. Paul's going to talk about this in this letter towards the, the end. But I think this is one of those things where, where maybe this might be the hardest. It might be the hardest for some of us to say, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my neighbor. And the problem is when we, fully, when we don't fully surrender, we, we begin to decide who our neighbor is. When you fully surrender, we begin to see that God calls everyone our neighbor. So when Jesus says the most important thing is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, if you understand what it means to love yourself and that you're deeply loved by God, then you respond by loving your neighbors. And this is all of your neighbors. Uh, This is your homeless neighbor and your extremely wealthy neighbor. It's your Muslim neighbor and your Jewish neighbor and your atheist neighbor and your Christian neighbor. It is your white neighbor and your brown neighbor and your black neighbor. Uh, It is your neighbor who uh, lives the traditional life, your neighbor who is straight, your neighbor who would identify in the LGBTQ. It is your awkward neighbor. It is your addicted neighbor. It's your neighbor. And I think if we're unable to fully surrender ourselves to God, that becomes really difficult. Because I think what happens is we don't really understand the grace of God. And we don't really understand how God has loved us. And so when we surrender, we surrender to this idea that we get to have the agenda. And then as Bob Goff says, our only agenda is to love God and to leak Jesus. Uh, this was instrumental in my life as I decided uh, to finally say yes to God and become a pastor. I've told my story just a little bit. I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but I had my plans of, of coaching football and, and being a PE teacher and almost graduating from from college, and then through a few events, hearing God say to me, not audibly, just in my spirit and just through other people that, that maybe being a pastor is something you should do. And I said no over and over and over. And then at some point I said, okay, if I'm really all in, then I have to say, okay, yes. I don't know how this is gonna work. I feel ill-equipped. I don't wanna speak in front of people, right? And so in surrendering, it doesn't mean that we have all the answers or know what it's gonna look like. It's just this submission, believing that God is faithful in all things. And that when I say yes, then God is going to take care of me and he's going to provide for me. So I don't don't know where you're at in life. I don't know if you have been going to church your whole life and you have said yes to God, that you've said yes to his grace over and over and over. But in saying yes to his grace, there might be a few areas where you've said, eh, I'm gonna go ahead and do my own thing there. Maybe today would be a day where you say, look, I'm going to surrender everything. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what my future looks like. I don't know how my finances are going to look. I don't know how this is going to act itself out and work or whatever that looks like. But would you just say yes? Would today be a day where you say, I'm all in. I'm all in. That this life that I live, I don't want it just to be for me, but I want this to be a life lived for God. Uh, Greg's going to come up and, and finish, us, us, uh, finish us off with our, our song that we sing every week. And if you haven't caught on yet, uh, when we sing this song in the end, it really is this declaration of what we want. As we think about God's kingdom, uh, you are today having an opportunity to put yourself underneath this king who loves you and cares deeply for you and wants you to participate in his kingdom and wants you to be all in. So as we sing this, this isn't just a song. Hopefully it's become uh, known to you and is so familiar that, that it is just a prayer as you leave this place every week. So would you stand with me? I'll pray and we'll sing. Father, I'm thankful that 
you're so patient with us uh, that, that you're patient with us and extending us grace. And, and for many of us, we can think of that moment where we said yes to the, to the call of um, your grace and of following you. But then I think for many of us, I don't know if we've reached the point, Lord, where we've said, okay, I'm all in. As, as Paul comes to this realization and he knew the outcome and he knew what this meant for his life, that everything would be determined, God, by you. And he made that choice. Lord, would you help us to make this choice? I know the outcome, Lord. I know that it's good, that it's not always easy. But I know that it's good. And so I pray for my friends here today who maybe for the first time would say they want to accept this grace in their lives and this forgiveness. But then maybe for some of them, Lord, that they would say yes to fully surrendering to you. To being set apart, of being sanctified, of being made holy for you. Would you give them the courage to do that in some of the areas of their lives? Because, Lord, I know some might be difficult. You might be walking away from some things or some situations or from some people. But, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength and knowing that it is the life well lived when we follow you and fully surrender. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.